Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Jennifer English. I'm the editor-at-large of Food and Beverage Magazine, and I love the work we've done together over the last several years. We are emerging from the pandemic, and we are, as an industry, roaring back to life. And once we get some of those real hurdles that were the challenges that were presented to us as an industry, we can get back to making the art of hospitality, conviviality come to life. Well, today we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us. And not only is she an influencer in the industry, but she's actually become one of our colleagues here at Food and Beverage Magazine with an article she published recently. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Pamela Wood is the director of the Culinary Wine Institute. And I want to talk a little bit about what wine is in our culture today and how it is one of the capital F fine arts. I believe that food and wine are the realms of the fine arts that you experience with all five of your senses. And we're gonna talk about how now that we are emerging from what was one of the biggest seismic changes of our industry over the last 50 years to the future of food and wine, that we're here in Food 3.0, and there's a lot going on, and there's a lot going on in the vineyards, and the world is a changing place, and we're going right to the source of expertise for answers to all our questions so that we can understand how we are today living and appreciating the wonderful world of wine. Pamela Wood, welcome. How are you? Good morning, Jennifer. I should say good morning. I'm in a different time zone. Thank you for having me. I'm well. Oh, I love whatever time zone you're in. It's absolutely gorgeous wine country where you are. Let's first of all introduce you by saying what is the Culinary Wine Institute, where you are not only the director of education, but it's your place. You're the CEO and, and you are the head of this institution's mission. Tell everybody what you are, where you are, and what the mission is. So Culinary Wine Institute came out of being several years in the hospitality industry myself. Um, going through all the steps of sommelier and wine service and realizing that outside of becoming a sommelier, servers need to have an education when they're waiting on every table. Uh, working in several resorts, you see the people that travel, they have a little savvy about wine knowledge and they get up to the table and they ask their server, what wine do you recommend with whatever 
menu item they're ordering. And time and time again, I would see the server's eyes kind of glaze over and freeze, or they would go get someone else to help them. And I'm like, it doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be intimidating. It's it's actually really simple if you break it down. So over the past few years, we've developed Culinary Wine Institute and it's uh, server training to empower and give confidence to servers uh, at every table they serve, to answer every question, to recommend wine pairings, to understand wine easily, and to also know it is, like you said, a fine art. Food and wine is just, it's, it's an amazing experience. And and even more now, like you said, coming out of pandemic, uh, not to mention inflation, the consumers right. that go spend those hard-earned dollars, they have an expectation. And we can't control the inflation, but we can deliver on the experience. I've got to start because you brought it up, and I am yeah. I'm always loath to talk about politics. <sighs> but if my gallon of gas is now $5, what's happened to the price of a gallon of wine? Not that I buy my wine by the gallon like I remember my parents doing back in the day when we got those fantastic California wines that did come in the gallon. That and came those in those big jugs, yes. Oh my gosh. And my, I'll say, just this is a complete unrelated. My my stepmother went to graduate school at Berkeley and, and told stories once I got into the food business of riding in the Volkswagen bug or bus with her friends and you, you brought as many jugs as you could and they would let you fill these jugs at places like Inglenook and and Mondavi and the places that have come to become the cornerstones, yes. Christian Brothers, the cornerstones of the greatest wines in North America, some of the greatest wines in the world. And she said, you know, you could fill a big jug for like a dollar. And I, I love the romance of that idea. I love yeah. the joy of that idea. And I am now imagining today, what has this environment and this economy done to wine production? Yeah, if back my in the gas has gone up. Uh, what's happened to wine? Yeah, back in the day, it was really good. I can remember when I was a student in Santa Cruz doing the same thing with a jug of wine. So, um, we are going through a much slower change in in the wine industry as far as the inflation hit. Of course, there were tariffs on the European wines in place a couple years ago. Those have actually uh, percentage wise has eased back, but they're still in place. So that's covering some of the inflationary costs, although there's a supply chain issue, which is another topic. Right. Uh, we're starting to see in the vineyards, of course, mostly the production itself isn't taking a hit as far as in the vines, you know, growing the grapes in the facility, uh, harvest, other than, you know, again, staff shortages, um, fermenting and bottling. So it's going to come when we have to do the transportation out. And so I don't think we're going to see the real impact on that for maybe around the end of this year towards the holidays, unfortunately. Um, we're right in the middle of season. Harvest hasn't happened. Everything's been shipped out, you know, from the 2020, working right. on the 21. Biggest thing right now is supply chain issue and staffing. I'm I'm curious to see where we go with the inflationary side. If they yeah. get this under control, maybe by the end of summer or early fall, we might not see a huge impact like we're seeing on other items in our everyday consumer life. One of the things I wanted to make sure we talked about with you is one of the things that I find pretty fascinating, which is where we live today, where we live with food and wine today. We, we just literally last week, the James Beard Foundation had their 2022 James Beard Awards, and they are 
the first ones they've done in two years, and they are completely reflective of a very different America and a very different American dining reality and landscape. There are more things like tacos and pizzas. Previously, fine dining, which is what they would award these prizes for, represented excellence. Excellence was the same thing as fine dining, white tablecloths, etc. Today, excellence is being reimagined, redefined, and rediscovered in places all over the country. And it's not about fancy. How has this had an impact on the wine industry? I think it's kind of revolutionary because we did always associate, you know, that fancy fine dining um, and having, you know, your bottle of wine. So I think it's encouraging when you can see people even at a food truck ordering their tacos or pizza and sitting down with um, the wine that goes with it. Because wine's not just reserved for that fancy luxury. Wine is one of the oldest beverages in existence. And it pretty much goes with everything. I can tell you a pairing that goes with Mexican food as well as with pizzas. So I think it's You and I are going to train mobile numbers and I am going to bother you because I'm going to be like in the middle of the night. And I'm like, what goes with this? Yeah. I so, love I mean, that. It's great. So if you think about what's happening, it's actually exciting. We're not keeping the wine maybe like in this little specialized area because it doesn't need to be there. I mean, it's been, a, like I said, it's been around 11,000 years. Might not have been so good back then, but it's it's accompanied everybody through history, predates Bible, predates borders, has always gone with food. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this is headed and and what new changes are coming and what we're going to be pairing wine with next. Well, what's so interesting to me is looking at the industry and how it's changing. I can go for tacos or pizza and my companion can have a can of beer and I can have a can of wonderful wine. Yes, you can. There are terrific wineries putting wine in a can. Um, it is happening that I can get it on tap. There are systems that are allowing things that didn't exist 20 years ago to be you know, standard, if not state of the art. Can you talk a little bit about some of the advances that are taking place in changing wine so that you could give us a glimpse of what is the, the future of wine? What is our experience going to be like in the future of wine as, as sippers and diners? Um, I think it's going to be twofold. So I think we're still going to have the luxury experience that, that we're used to, where they have the sommelier come to the table and serve the wine. And then I think it's going to be more kind of like an everyday experience where you get to, you know, like you said, on tap. We have several of those throughout the United States now where, you know, the, the kegs are sent to um, the restaurants and it's on tap. And some of those are nice, fine wines. I think it's going to be easier. I think it's going to be more consumer driven. I also think we're going to see different demographic learning how to understand and appreciate wine instead of maybe waiting until that real understanding came, you know, later in life. I don't want to say any, any ages for certain people, but we are seeing, you know, the younger millennials that are just entering their early twenties, not just go drink wine. They actually have an interest in, in what it is and what it pairs with and how it works and where it came from. And, I don't think we've seen that for a good couple decades, and that's really exciting to go forward. One of the things I've always loved is John Brecher and Dorothy Gator from the Wall Street Journal Guide to Wine, teaching us about how we can learn to live with wine the way our friends and 
families in Europe and other places around the world, South America, Latin America, people all over the world know, love, and live with wine differently than we do. And we've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, they did some really good education. What do you do to help us learn to live with wine sort of more comfortably, accessibly? I think it's more just about education. I mean, wine in, wine in Europe or the old world is right. it's part of their culture. And it literally is in my world. It is its own food group, just like we have our cereals and we have our meats and we have our vegetables. Wine is also a food group. So if you can change the thinking you know, of how we look at things, it is a food group. It has its place. It's part of culture. Um, there's actually a lot of beneficial properties that uh, go with wine. Uh, it's also something farm to table, you know, the big movement we've had with food for so long. Uh, it's the same thing in the vineyard that's been going on for, well, hundreds of years, depending on which country you're in. Yeah. I, so I really think it's just more like switching, switching the way we think and, and educating on that because it's not going anywhere. No. Um, the whole industry is evolving with, with other things, just like we're discussing here. So, um, it's kind of like, we're all, we're in a, like a revolutionary renaissance phase. It's kind of like me, we're, we're having this weird, this versus that right now. And I think until we get it all figured out, but going forward, I think we're going to see a whole rebirth of, um, hopefully the whole food and wine industry. So is there really as much wine in the world in our marketplace as it seems, because it feels like when I go to the store now, I've never seen so much wine my whole life. Uh, there's uh, this explosion of wines and it's available everywhere, even in grocery stores and total wines. I mean, there's a lot of ways to access this. The access points are different. And, and I will say, I would always expect somebody at a restaurant to be able to do this, but you have a you're on a mission to make sure everybody that we have as a point of entry and contact into this world knows what we're that what we're talking about which which brings me back to the question is there as much as it seems there is 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 the is the wine world just booming the way it seems it is and there's actually even more than what you see cuz there's so much when i travel that i get to taste and enjoy and i'm like i have never even seen this wine anywhere in the united states and of course that's because whatever country i'm in they keep it for themselves cuz they mm -hmm. know it's good and they don't export and they don't need that part for their economy for whatever reason but there is. There's a lot of wine, and an education behind wine would sell so much more. And I don't want to say, want to say sell for just making the profit. It would sell so much more wine to consumers who go in seeking something, and if they could just be asked a couple questions, they could be they could be you know getting what they want. Okay, so the Food and Beverage Magazine Guide to Restaurant Success. Yep, is a must-have book. Food and Beverage Magazine, of which I am proudly the editor-at-large, featured recently a story by you. Let's talk a little bit about your contribution to the April issue. I think it was the April issue, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, thank um, you. So tell us about it and tell everybody why they need to go and revisit <laughs> that issue. They should revisit that issue. In fact, I'd like to just make that a posting pretty soon because it's basically about returning. How do we return to normal? But it's not normal. It's a better normal. And if the two years didn't teach us anything, uh, it taught us flexibility and, and how to adjust and how to be adaptable and what we had to do to survive and how we had to keep business going. 
And now, you know, the American people miss their pre-pandemic life and that social gathering. So we're going to return to normal, but it's going to have to be different. I mean, we need to have flexibility. The restaurant industry especially hit hard. Resort restaurants, they were closed down completely. There was no takeout. There was no nothing because there were no guests. So how do you bounce back? Flexibility is going to be key. Adaptability is going to be key. Um, You've got to be outside the box thinking you can't do your standard, you know, training or even your pre-shifts. So flexibility in hiring and shifts. I mean, if you're a restaurant that's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you might need to have somebody that works, you know, a few hours at breakfast and comes back at dinner, giving that time off in the day to do whatever they need to do with their kids or their family or for themselves. Um, Split shifts, different operational hours. And then we have to look at cleanliness. We've all learned that we really like seeing somebody wash down tables, wash their hands, and maybe even spray off a menu before our hands go on it. So these are new practices that have to come into play. But more importantly, is the knowledgeable server, the the experience you're going to deliver to those guests if you want them to keep coming back, if you want them to keep, you know, spending your money there. The server needs to know what they're doing. The restaurant manager doesn't have time for training. We're seeing new hires and crash course training every week, multiple times because of the staff shortages. So if you can have something where you say, hey, here's what you need to study on the menu and get online and take this course so you know how to recommend the wines, it's a win-win. The server's gonna be confident. The restaurant's gonna see bigger bottom line in sales. The consumer is going to be satisfied and usually that results in social media and satisfaction scores going higher and higher for the establishment. So there again, you just have that whole trickle down. It just goes around and around and everybody elevates the experience and keeping the guest happy and usually retains their employees a little longer as well. Can you talk a little bit about one or two of the new practices relative to wine that has grown out of the the pandemic into what is the post-pandemic period. And rather than calling it the new normal, I refer to that period as the next normal. Yes, the next normal or the better normal or, or something I face. So I don't actually know how to address quite that question about what we're seeing come out of um, post-pandemic. Of course, During pandemic, a lot of people were at home just drinking bottles of wine, um, (laughs) if we were able to even get them. So we're just seeing more people go out and maybe experiencing something different, looking and seeking and, and not falling back into those old practices. And I think that's where, you know, restaurants have remodeled and they've done all these great things to update their, their vibe, if you will, but they haven't remodeled for lack of a better word, their wine list. They have the mm-hmm. same old wines they started with. So that's another area. It's like, look at kind of what the trends are. Look at what's popular. People are out seeking different things now. You know, There's nothing wrong with Cabernet, but you don't need to have 50 of them on your list because there's so many other wines that are out there. And they've been moving around through the market for the past two years. People have been trying different things and getting savvy. They've been doing some online courses themselves. So they're seeking a different um, wine experience than what we were used to. Well, and if if I'm going to be pairing in, instead of pairing with something from a different generation, I am now pairing for uh, a chicken mole versus uh, a real authentic birria with the with the beautiful broth. 
I got to tell you, I, I'm going to be. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to be thinking very differently. The barbacoas. I'm going to be thinking differently about these things. The the El Pastor. I'm going to be thinking differently about these things and pairing differently. Correct. That to me is super exciting. Yes, and it would be nice if you were able to be at whatever establishment you are. It could be a bistro, a cafe, a fine dining. Um, if it's a food truck that happens to have, you know, wine or, or even the canned wine, um, it would be nice if you said, I'm going to have this barbacoa dish, you know, and I'd really like to have wine with it. What do you recommend? And boy, wouldn't it be nice if they could just, you know, give you an answer and, and even the reason behind it. Right. right. So, well, and, and there are places in the world that are coming online and producing wines that are going to be very much in line with the beautiful cuisine, that idea of if it grows together, it goes together. I would be remiss if I didn't selfishly and greedily exploit your presence here for the summer. We just had our solstice. Yes. Going into the, it's too hot to cook. It's too hot to eat time. I know people hate it when I say that. I know we keep eating, but talk to us a little bit about what you've got in your mind about summer sipping for the next say 60 days oh that's such a great question i actually just did the lighter the lighter side of wine for summer heat um class last week uh while i was here in hawaii teaching and it was you know moving away from those heavier dishes now and the foods are lighter i mean i had a beautiful wine i had um i had gorgeous chenin blanc with some oysters Ooh, on, oysters on the half shell nothing fancy just a little rock salt some oysters little minuet sauce um, with a beautiful Chenin Blanc, light, crisp, refreshing. I had watermelon salad with some blueberries and I had that just with a nice Beaujolais, but a Beaujolais um, from France, not a Beaujolais Nouveau. This was a nice um, village titled Beaujolais, which is the Gamay grape. So really light and a little bit floral and fruity, but not heavy, not, not the tannins that dry your mouth out. So really crisp with that watermelon salad. Of and course, I'm going to share something because I'm a native New Englander. I'm from Boston. And this ah. time of year, we start going to the shore and we start going to the beach and we start going to Maine and go to Martha's Vineyard in Cape Cod. And guess what we have there? Lobster rolls. Yes. But you know what I'm really craving? Tell I'm me. craving fried clams or fried scallops. They're served in a toasted frankfurter bun where the sides are buttered and griddled like the top of a grilled cheese sandwich and inside okay. <laughs> those perfectly fried. And I want to tell you flavors like that, oysters, fried oysters, the muscadets of the world. It, this is when, to me, I love a muscadet. I was just going to say that would be so amazing. Um, anything that's got that white field blend, which we're seeing a lot of those come out, which white field blend just means, you know, a different blend of white wines, usually from, um, the varieties that exist in the south of France, the Roussan, the Marsan, they just pick up and elevate notes, Muscadet, Viognier, um, that would be amazing. Even an unoaked Chardonnay um, would be quite nice. There's there's so many options. And even something like that, like depending on if there's any sauces that go with that, you could even go to a light, the lightest of all reds, you could go to a certain style of Pinot. I wouldn't, you know, recommend one of the heavier weighted down Pinots based on, you know, soil and climate, but, and that's where people, if they know where the wine comes from, you can, you can describe what goes with it. And that's my daytime sipper. My evening sipper for the summertime 
with food that is cooked on fire. I don't care whether it's a hot dog or a halibut. Whatever yes. you are cooking out on the grill over fire, let's go to Portugal and visit my friends in Portugal. One of the wines I love is the Broadbent Vino Verde. Oh. It's a delicious wine that loves when you take whole sardines and grill them. Even just a crusty piece of country bread with olive oil, salt, and pepper yes. on the fire with the with the vino verde from Broadbent. I think it's delicious. Right. And as soon as you have a little of that grilling or charring, if you will, that changes the chemistry of the food. That's going to elevate different parts of the chemistry in the wine. And that's what I've had. I forget about that one even myself. And that's a great wine. That's a great one. And if someone's looking for red wines for summer, you know, like I said, of course, there's always Pinot, but um, you can think of the Carmenere from Chile. So if you're, you need a little boldness with a little structure and pepper, but not the heavy weight, that's a beautiful wine. Some of the Tempranillos um, out of Spain, the Riojas, the younger ones, oh. they're not so they're not so heavily aged, um, which those are you're outstanding. But yes, and the Granachas. Can so, I tell you, we, I wish you and I hosted a wine game show that was part cooking show, part game show. And you're like, okay, here's the wine. What what are we going to have with it? And you could say something to me like, let's go to Spain and Portugal or, you know, let's go cook out on. And, and, and there's really something, as soon as you start talking about these things, I hope everybody in our audience today is thinking, oh, Granaches. Oh my God, the Riojas. What about some of those Portuguese red blends that are beautiful and spicy. Oh, and then when you're so talking funny. about spicy wines from South America, I'm thinking of, oh my God, I absolutely have to have a spicy Italian sausage on the grill for that one. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Very much. How so. That would be a great one, idea. How do you say one and not automatically taste in your mind and think of the other? So it's true. And it actually makes, I mean, makes my mouth water when I start talking about all these great combinations. And even though it's only breakfast time where I am, I'm like, okay, now I'm hungry. <laughs> I want that sausage and that, that South American wine. Okay. So Pamela Wood, CEO and Director of Education at the Culinary Wine Institute. Is this just for professionals or can civilians who are passionate come and learn from you as well? This is for anybody who has a passion to learn a little bit more about wine. Um, we have online courses that cover just segments. If you just want to learn about food and wine pairing, if you just want to learn the foundational basics and you want just one segment on white wine, um, we literally called A is for Apple. This is not a sommelier course. This is not how to be a professional. This is how to understand wine and engage in the wine world with your food. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It is the Culinary Wine Institute, found on the World Wide Web at culinarywineinstitute.com. Pamela Wood, thank you very much, and have a delicious, cool summer. Jennifer, thank you for having me. What a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.